0: Bullets that changed America 13 historic assassinations, duels, misfires, and murders. Available from McFarland Publishing, wherever books are sold. Now, back to our show. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking (laughs) Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Rescott. Welcome back to our podcast. Tom, what do we got?
1: Well, today we're going to be looking at um, a case that I know definitely talked about in history classrooms, particularly when it got to the 1920s, the Red Scare and everything like that. And we're going to be looking at the Sacco and Vanzetti trial that took place and uh, eventually led to the execution of Sacco and Vanzetti.
0: The actual crime for which these guys were accused was 1920. They were put on trial and convicted and sentenced to and- die in 21. But then yeah. they kind of hung out for a while. Hung out was a terrible term. In jail. Well, there were appeals,
1: right? You had exactly. the appeals. You had they try and get a retrial. You had that famous um, commission with the governor of Massachusetts and everything like that, which eventually held up the court's decision. And then they were eventually executed in 19, uh, 1927.
0: Yeah. I mean, this thing kind of dragged on for a while. And, and there was a lot of
1: debate. There's a lot of like protests and stuff like that. There were bombings because of it. Like there's a lot going on
0: with that. But this actually was not just in the United States. Like this was... Uh, like a world-known event. And when I was doing research for this, because actually this a nice plug in here. This is actually a chapter in my newest book, Bullets That Changed America. This kind of spreads around the world to other countries. And you have other nations during this seven-year period, these huge demonstrations, even to the point that um I think Benito Mussolini gets involved. Yeah.
1: Well, because they were Italian. Obviously, Mussolini before he's... Well, yeah, I guess Mussolini. he was fascist. No, he's already... So he's yeah. Not- yeah. He's not, Muslim, he's not the world, but it's before World War II, obviously, but he's trying to petition for their release or something, saying, listen, they're good Italian-Americans. I remember, like you said, it's a time of xenophobia, but it's also a time of, they were anarchists. They admitted to being anarchists. Yeah. And that's really what was, they were put on trial for in the eyes of a lot of people. And that's really what they were not supposed to be put on trial for. And we'll get to what happened in... Yes, yeah, so, obviously, if they, if they did it or not, but the whole idea of they were anarchists and they were non-apologetic anarchists also.
0: So let's kind of get into it. Let's talk about the crime itself that propelled these two men to be kind of thrust into uh, the international spotlight. You know how this still comes up today. I mean, it, it does. I'm pretty sure in 1970s, the governor of Massachusetts said these guys were unfairly trialed yeah. and they should be apologized to. But yeah, but that was, that was Dukakis.
1: Go out home, guys, and look up uh Dukakis. You're gonna see the famous picture of him on a tank, and that's pretty much gonna be the end last time you're gonna see anything on Michael Dukakis. Unbelievable. You are
0: unbelievable, Tom. <laughs> anyway Just let's get go- just just- <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, let's get going on Sacco and Vanzetti. All right, so you had about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on April
1: 15th, 1920, right? You had a paymaster and his guard. They were actually fired upon by two men with pistols. Now, it's important to understand they're pistols, not revolvers. That's going to come up in the trial and stuff like that. And um, they were carrying two boxes containing the payroll for this uh, shoe factory nearby. Which is crazy, right? About, instead,
0: of, instead of like armed vehicles, again, this is 1920. That's what they did. It's 1920. They just so walk around
1: they had, with – had a gun. Yeah, it had Yeah, this big a box. box and it, yeah, it contained <laughs> over $15,000, which was a lot of money. Especially in 1920, and one guard, um, right? One, one guard. paymaster, yeah, yeah, one paymaster, yeah, one guard.
0: Yeah.
1: And this was in um, South uh, Braintree, Massachusetts. So as the murder was being committed, a car containing several other men drew up on the spot, and the murderers threw the two boxes into the car, jumped in themselves. The one guard was shot in the chest. Another one was actually shot, uh, the um, the guy, the paymaster, I think, was shot in the back, right, as he was trying mm-hmm. to run away, and the car drove away at high speeds. Across some nearby railroad tracks, and then two days later, they actually found the car abandoned in the woods. Um, they said the guard did try to draw his gun, but it, you know, obviously he couldn't couldn't get out in time. And then his um his but his gun was actually missing. That's something that you see a lot in the trial that is that it was missing. So eyewitnesses said they were they were Italian guys or the Italian guys with mustaches, and there was actually a similar. Um, Hold up in a neighboring town of Bridgewater just a few days before. And in both cases, gangs were involved. So that's that kind of helps out with this too. And
0: um, at the time, there's a lot of issues between unions and um, like factory workers and owners and businessmen. This is kind of in class. Yeah, there's, a, of- there's, a,
1: there's a class war going on the haves yeah, and you- have nots.
0: Exactly. Huge class war going on. It which which really leads to a lot of radicalism and is a lot of these people are kind of denouncing having governments and they're known radicals and, and anarchists believe that Government is not helping the situation. The government is actually porting the wealthy members of society, you know, at the expense of the working class. So these radicals are calling for almost like abolishing government and like restarting yeah. with a more fair union in some way, shape, or form. And I and- think
1: another thing to note is that they're willing to do that
0: violently if need be. Exactly. Right. So with massive assassinations violence. and stuff like that.
1: So that's another thing too. That's why they well, why would the government care about this? as people say you don't need government? Fine, whatever. But because they're they're saying yeah, but it has to be a violent overthrow. Obviously, that's what's getting the uh, government's attention and the police's and actually, attention.
0: Absolutely, and and what these guys are really known for at the time is primarily bombings. I mean, the the very infamous um, Palmer raids, Palmer. right?
1: Yeah,
0: right, which stems from the American Attorney General, who basically his house gets bombed by anarchist groups and. And these guys are sending bombs to known American politicians. Like this is a oh, pretty violent embassies,
1: courthouses. Yeah. It's happening pretty regularly.
0: We know for a fact that Sac and Vanzetti were actually part of this group. I mean, they were considered these anarchist yeah. fighters. Police officer winds up going to this known anarchist that works at these both factories that were just robbed. He doesn't find him there, but he finds his roommate there. He talks to the roommate and then they basically start following this roommate and along with these uh, roommate and this other anarchist wind up going to a local auto shop uh, to pick up an old car. These two known anarchists show up with two other guys, and those would be... Um, Sacco and, and Vanzetti, right? Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo. Yeah, Bartolomeo Vanzetti. And from that point forward, these guys wind up leaving the shop. but The police kind of follow all of them. They wind up following Sacco and Vanzetti, and they're like, "Who are these guys?"
1: Boarded, they boarded a streetcar. They both, and they were kind of tracked down, and they were arrested, and police uh, detained them. And they were like, "Do you have any guns on you?" They're like, "No, we don't have any guns." But then the police searched them, and they, they were both found holding loaded
0: pistols. Which yeah, was
1: are a cult model. Yep. And then um, some, a bunch of automatic cartridges, some, some shotgun shells, a Winchester. The shotgun 32. shells
0: become important, right? Of because that, yeah. they're very actually so do the the bullets because apparently the casings and the bullets and the shotgun shells, all the stuff that these guys had, was so yeah. old and obsolete that it actually made it easier for the police to later identify the because same Because not bullets. many people had
1: it. Yeah, the main thing was a 38 caliber Harrington Richardson um, revolver, which was very similar to um, the one carried by the uh, one of the brain tree guards. The one that when was, I was shot. Uh, yeah, That was that was shot and killed, but also his gun was missing. Sacco basically had that gun on him. So they were questioned and stuff like that. They had a whole bunch of um, anarchist paperwork and flyers and stuff like that on them. Um, the other guy that was detained, also that Orcelli guy, he was actually had an alibi. He was at work both days during the crimes. Yep. Sacco was on, was had been to work a day of the Bridgewater crime, but he had off on April 15th, the day of the Braintree crime. So he was charged with those murders right on the spot. Vanzetti didn't have any alibis because he was self-employed. He was a uh, fish peddler. He sold he sold eels.
0: And apparently there's a lot of different... I mean, I we'll get to in a second. But at the trial, there's a lot of people that saw him sell fish. Or actually, he sold fish to them supposedly on that day. And they're like, no, no, he was here selling fish. I bought fish from him. But the issue was that most of these witnesses that were called up to the stand were Italians. And they actually in spoke very here. heavy like Italian dialects that couldn't even speak yeah. English. But so like, so when they're, when they're being put on trial, cross examinations and translators trying to figure this out and they're like, wait, so how you say, can you say this in English? And they would say it in English. And they're like, well, but you don't speak English. And they're like, well, I memorized how to say it in English. Oh, so you memorized your deposition. Yeah, like, well, yes. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, there's a lot of essentially discrimination against the, the fact that these guys, as well as older witnesses to try to give them alibis, were... Italian I mean, Italian, and also um, first-generation immigrants. So these guys are ultimately arrested. They are put on trial.
1: Um, right after they're actually arrested, um, some of their supporters, fellow anarchists, actually detonate a uh, bomb two days later. Um, supposedly, it was uh, Buddha, Mario Buddha, that was the one who helped orchestrate yep. the Wall Street bombing. And basically a time-delay bomb packed with heavy iron. Um, weights. It was stashed in a um, horse-drawn cart. It killed 38 people and wounded 134. Think about. It. Imagine if something like that happened today by Wall Street, like someone. Yeah. Like our, and they also sent booby trap mail to the American ambassador in Paris, wounding his valet. And for the next six years, when this trial is going on, bombs were exploded all over the place. American embassies all over the world in protest of what's going on with Sacco and Vanzetti. Um, but yeah, but they're put on trial. And I, the big thing to understand. The trial is at the judge. So the judge is Webster uh, Tyre, and he is known for not liking immigrants and known for not liking anarchists, even though they said he was a fair trial judge.
0: And the issue is that Vanzetti and Sacco, uh, specifically Vanzetti, picked the wrong person to represent them. Oh, that was big
1: too. Yeah, the guy they picked wound up eventually working with the defense, right? Yep. Um, what's his name? John P. Uh, v- Vahi?
0: That was Sacco's guy. And Vincent also brought in defense attorney Moore, very radical, politicized any form of anarchist beliefs. And he was basically disliked right off the start yeah. because of he was he was himself kind of radical. It almost went past what the case was really about, which was simply murder not simply, but it was murder and theft. Well, it was supposed to
1: be a murder case, but it became this case more on anarch, which is not what they were on trial for.
0: Yep. And that's what really what captures the nation and stuff
1: like that. But like you said, two people absolutely they had horrible representation. Yep. I mean, how they its there's another reason why. You can make the argument that they, whether they were guilty or not is one thing, but that they definitely should have had a retrial. Just based on the judge, like, I don't think this flies in 2022, a trial like this, with, yep. with a judge saying this sort of stuff and defense attorneys that have their own agendas. And once the one defense attorney, when he actually goes and works for Katzman's firm and Katzman is a prosecutor in this case, think about it. If the case is over and he goes and works for the opposing counsel's firm right after that.
0: Yeah, that's a little fishy. That, right? That's
1: not going to hold up. That's definitely fishy.
0: So these guys are put on trial. The trial goes by fairly quickly. Um, they are found guilty fairly quickly, mainly because there's a lot of discrepancies. The first one being that although they testify that they were not there during that time, their alibis are kind of thin. Right. So Sako Sako supposedly and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was Sako, uh was actually had taken off of work to go get himself a passport. Right. Yes. That's where they found um, on
1: him. Yeah.
0: Right. So they said that he basically left to go to an Italian embassy to get himself a passport. And therefore, because of that, he was not at work. Because they're like, why were you not at work the day of the shooting? Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Cartoons. think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at two designers walk into a and listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. And then he goes, "No, no, I was there. I was at the embassy, I was getting a passport and then I went out and got myself lunch." So they try to figure out who was the person that actually like worked at the embassy that got you your passport. Like who remembers you and they finally were able to locate the guy and the guy was in Italy at the time. It was an older guy in Italy. And he goes, yeah, I, you know, I remember this guy coming in with the passport. And he goes, I remember it because he had a very peculiar picture. Right. The issue was that the picture was large or whatever it is, and it was too big for the passport. Um, so they had to cut it. So they asked this guy, right, well, can you come back to the U.S., go on trial and basically swear to the fact that you saw him? And He's like, no, I'm too old and I'm in Italy and it will take me too long to go back and blah, blah, blah. I'm already retired. So he never came back. However, he did write a letter stating that yes, I saw him. I saw Sacco buying or getting this particular passport on that day. Yeah,
1: because of that, it was pretty quickly dismissed. They were just like, yeah, whatever. Because you got to remember, this is nineteen twenty. This is before he had like air travel. You know?
0: Oh yeah, he would have to get on the of, ship to come know, get right? on a boat. I was required two
1: ship voyages. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't even know this guy. But, you know, they can't force him to come back. He's like, i mean, like you he said, he's retired. He's chilling. He's like, I'll write a piece. I'll write a letter. Yeah, I remember this guy, but. Because he wasn't there, because he couldn't be crossed, it kind of was like, didn't really help as much as it possibly could have. And again, the trial focus, a lot of material evidence, no only the bullets.
0: The issue with the bullets was that they couldn't basically agree whether they were fired from a particular gun, right? Because yeah. they brought in gun experts. So many
1: experts, so many, yeah.
0: And all the experts were like, yeah, this was definitely fired from this 32 caliber. And then the other expert was like, well it might not have been and essentially even though there was proof that there was because there was some dissenting views uh the judge is like all right we we can't use this all experts had something else and because there was no consensus that these bullets were fired from um one particular gun not the gun that was taken from the guard that was killed but one of the guns that sacco and Vanzetti supposedly had themselves they just couldn't prove that that was indeed the gun and then they were also like, "Well." If this guy was fired at four times, which he was, how come only one of the bullets inside his body supposedly matches Sako's gun? So they're like, that would be weird. So like this guy just shot him four times, but somewhere in between took out another gun. So like even if that one bullet matched his gun, it would still only one bullet out of four bullets fired into this guy. And the other three could not be identified as to which gun they came from. So they're like, this is kind of fishy. But then there's also, you know, witnesses to the the crime. There's one particular guy that actually remembers when the getaway car raced past. So there's more people than the Sacco Vanzetti if they did it, right? Um, Because clearly there was a car that came out of nowhere. It was an old Buick that everyone hopped in and they kind of drove away. And and one particular guy says that he specifically remembers the car racing right past him. He's less than 20 feet away from him. And one of the car's occupants, he said it was Sacco. He's like, this guy pointed a gun at me. Like, I vividly remember him doing that. So we have the gun that belonged to Saka Vanzetti, the 32 uh, caliber, which potentially might have fired one of the four bullets inside the, the body of the guard. There's also the, the guard's gun that uh, Vanzetti had on him. No, it was them, like,
1: yeah. right. What also hurts them is the fact that they lied. That was brought up repeating the trial is that when the police originally stopped them, they said, do you have weapons on you? They said no. And they searched them and found loaded guns. And the prosecution kept on bringing up, you lied before, you lied before, you lied before. So how do we know you're not lying now? That was like the big thing that they're like really focusing on also during this trial.
0: So didn't the prosecution start looking into the actual gun itself, the guard's gun?
1: Because again, if Vanzetti had it, how did you get that gun? Again, this is a rare gun. There was only about like 30,000 of them in existence. Yep and they couldn't shooting. find the
0: serial number because it yeah. was never the serial number was not recorded when he got it so like they couldn't prove that that was the gun like you said because it was such a hard gun to get uh the issue was well how did this guy get it and the other guy has it missing like there's that they kind of started really focusing on this gun like this has to be the gun that was taken from the scene again was it was it not we really don't know but we do know right that the Julie deliberated for three hours then they went yeah, out they to went the went yeah,
1: when and came back and had their decision. So they were just doing it. They get a, get a free dinner. Get some Absolutely. Chicken that was it.
0: Yeah. They come back and, and they basically say guilty. Verdict is guilty. Porters basically say that Sacco and were convicted not because of a crime they potentially actually committed, but because of the fact that they were anarchists and because of the fact that they were against government and because of the fact that they were immigrants in a world that at the time, in the United States, that was amidst the Red Scare and fear of communists anarchists, anything that would really disrupt the American way of life. And a lot of people to this day really believe that it was the anarchism, really, and the immigration status that played the part in the decision to convict the two men more so than the actual murder.
1: Than the actual evidence, yeah. And uh, right. because it was first degree murder and felony murder with Vanzetti, that was punishable by death at the time in Massachusetts. They still had the death penalty. So they were bound for execution in electric chair. Basically, unless, you know, they had appeals, but that was basically what was going to happen. That's what the judge uh, sentenced, them, uh, sentenced, them, sentenced them for.
0: I mean, and they kept on appealing for a while. I mean, these guys were in jail before they were six executed. Years, yeah. yeah, they were in jail for six years. So they kept on appealing over and over and over again. And it just kept on being denied each and each and every time. Wasn't there another confession that came out later? I'm trying to figure this out. Well, there was a confession um, much
1: later on by another um, individual that was in jail already. He said, no, he's the one that did it. And that it was actually, you know, Sacron and Vanzetti were just taking a fall for him. And um, his name was...
0: Celestino uh, uh, Medeiros or Medeiros or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: so he was going to actually be the one. Yeah, Medeiros. He was the, he, he actually confessed to it. He went to get put to death also. Yeah. So he, he yeah, I, but I the believe judge, the same day. But yeah. um, they basically never supported his claim. And they don't think he had anything to do with it Probably He was just kind of taken. He was just saying that. But um, he, the reason they some people do believe is that um, there was another person that was in this gang by the name of Joe Borelli who um, looked a lot like Sacco. So they were thinking maybe it was this guy that could have done it. You know, Sacco kind of was taking the fall for it because he, they looked so much alike. But that didn't really come much. So the guy did, did confess, but um, there was a lot of other evidence that he was lying to a lot of affidavits that he was he could have been the,
0: the shooter. So Vazzetti actually wrote that, like. As he's in jail, he's being interviewed, and he writes, like, I will see the death of, you know, the the judge that put us here. And then he asked fellow anarchists for revenge, revenge in our names and the names of our living and dead. Like, this guy's inciting violence while he's in jail. Oh, right,
1: yeah, yeah. And that kind of gets glossed over, I think, a lot of times. Like, oh, Sako and Finicera, they're just these two Italian guys. It's like, no, they're not Mario and Luigi. Like, that's that's not what these guys are. Not saying they're <laughs> evil as people. I'm not saying they're saints. But they're definitely not, you know, plumbers. <laughs>
0: I can't Tom. I can't. Where do you come up with this stuff, Tommy? Anyway, execution is scheduled for midnight, August 22nd, 23rd of nineteen twenty-seven. Um, on August fifteenth, so a week before that, a bomb explodes in the home of one of the jurors. Um, this is you know, this is like a big deal going forward. The protests literally spread around around the world when this is happening. World, I yeah. mean, yeah, all this happening. I and
1: mean, they're putting off uh, pictures out there, like they are of them are writing these um letters and stuff like that to their kids. There's a there's uh, famous writings about that when Sacco was in um, jail, his seven-year-old son Dante would stand outside the sidewalk and they would throw up they would play catch to each other, like throwing a ball over the wall to each other. And he's writing like letters to his son and stuff like that. And um, you know, just being like, you know, make sure you be a good man, always always fight for those who are oppressed because those are gonna be your true friends and stuff like that in the world. Help the have nots. So it, it comes across as, you know, he's really you know, yeah, like just throwing a
0: ball with his son. He's a nice these are yeah, nice yeah, people. He's, he's, nice, t- he's telling his
1: kid to be nice. He's telling his kids, you know, don't don't worry about me, I'll be fine. Go to he says, you know, go with your mom and go to the woods and pick wildflowers. So he's being presented as this like family man type of thing, which he might have been. Maybe he was a good father. I don't know. But again, there's a lot of evidence that he, he might have actually did shoot the postmaster.
0: Doing research for this, it's very interesting how it's presented. Like when I was looking at um the different sources, it's almost like The younger sources, meaning the younger, like younger sources that are presented more for the younger crowd kind of play up this whole, like, oh, these guys might have been innocent. And then as you start looking at more serious direct sources or even like government websites, you start to really look at the evidence and, and realize that perhaps or rather highly likely the jury was not incorrect in stating that they were indeed guilty. Of, of this crime. Yeah, the idea is some, not so much, like
1: even when Dukakis uh, says that thing, he just said this and they were treated unfair he never said they were innocent. Yep. He didn't yeah, grant them pardons. He just, and that's a big thing too, right before he's killed that the governor, um, Governor Alvin T. Fuller has a chance to par- pardon them. They write to him, everyone's writing to the governor. I remember watching a movie about it in like in like high school or maybe maybe like middle school, like watching a movie about it, about Tuller and you know whether he thinks or not is, is sacrum are guilty or not. And he, he forms this commission and they ultimately rule that, no, we can't overturn this conviction. Like there's enough evidence to show that they did do it or they at least had a part of this. And again, that's what this is supposed to be about. The problem is they probably did. They didn't get a fair trial. There's no way you can look at that. And they didn't get a fair trial because they were anarchists. That right. you can make the argument. Whether or not they did it or not, that's another whole argument that can be made. And that's no one's really going to know for sure. Because there's evidence that kind of supports... Both ways. Yeah. That Sacco and apparently a lot of anarchists did believe that Sacco did commit the murder, that Vanzetti was just he was the getaway driver.
0: Yep. Also, what's kind of interesting here, there's supposed to be five men. They counted five men all together with the car and, and the actual um shooting. What happened to the other three? You know, what I mean, like also, why hadn't any of the stolen money ever been found on Sacco Vanzetti? Like the the money yeah. disappeared. And the other three out of the five were never even brought up on trial. So no one knows. It's like these two guys became the face of it. Even though at the very end, like Vanzetti, um, right before he was killed, said, I am innocent of all crimes. Not only this, but all crimes. And then um, Sacco said that I'm never guilty. Never. Not yesterday, nor today, nor forever. At the end of the day, Sacco and Vanzetti um, were killed in 1927. Yeah. an electric chair, and again to this day, they kind of become, I guess, martyrs. I guess you would say, right?
1: They definitely became martyrs for the cause and things of that nature, and they're still talked about. And there's, um, I believe, there's a memorial in Brainstream, Massachusetts. Right. There's also a memorial to the victims, also. So, like, we've got to remember that people talk about that. But two people were murdered, yeah. And there were a lot of like uh, people who were dead and killed after as well the bombing campaign. So there are memorials to that. To that, it's like a major case in, in U.S. history, and it definitely focuses on like this whole like the red Skit kind of sums it up, like. Whether or not they did it or not, whether or not they were put on trial more for their views, not for the crime they're being put
0: on trial for. Yep. That and I sense. think that, you know, that is supposed to shine some light on the United States erratic and, and almost unfair policies during this, this crazy odd time of the Red Scare and, and xenophobia.
1: You know, I would encourage everyone to go look it up themselves, say, draw your own opinions on it. Do you think they were both involved, they weren't involved, you know, one or the other? And, um, you know, there's a ton of evidence out there. Like you said, you're going to find different ones based on different websites that you look
0: at. Yeah, and it's always the point is to give you guys a nice introduction. So that's that. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Always a pleasure. Um, If you need to contact us, you could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Please, we welcome any comments, questions, or anything else you guys might have towards us. So, everyone, have an awesome week, and we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor, a Civil War Army doctor, and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.